right, we're live. It's episode Whoa. four. Welcome back, people. Patrick, how's your week going? I'm at home. <laughs> <laughs> Same. I've been at home for, uh, well, I can't quite remember. It's been, I think, time immemorial since I last uh, went anywhere. Beyond that, you know, I'm doing well. I'm happy. I'm healthy and I'm wise, <laughs> thanks to Benjamin Franklin. Well, you just had a major accomplishment happen recently. I, I did, yeah. I just You uh, finished watching Finding Nemo and Finding Dory <laughs> back to back. I did both of them. No, at the same not time. that. What what did you actually accomplish? Uh oh yeah. I graduated from college, which is exciting. I officially am a Bachelor of Political Science, which is not something I'll ever call myself ever again. Well, now your now your podcast career can really take off. Cause now it can take off. This was really the only thing holding me back, I think. So yeah, now so I'm ready to go. For those, so, for all you haters out there, because I know you're <laughs> out there, these guys don't know what they're talking about. Well, now we have a degree certified political scientist. I sat in a classroom for a couple years and they're going to shit on me a, a Zoom piece of paper. <laughs> well, uh, this episode is going to be fun. So yeah. last week we talked about, or last time we talked about the election. This time we're going to go into the religious world again, but also the political world and talk a little, a little bit about, yeah. about everybody's favorite uh, Jewish guy, Jesus. Oh, okay. I have... <laughs> There's a couple, apparently, but... Well, yeah, there's, yeah, there's lots of great people of, of many ethnicities. But yes, we're going to talk about Jesus today, and uh, we're excited about that. So welcome, thanks for tuning in, and uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. So, the McManus Movie Corner for this it's week. It's arrived. Very excited for this movie. It's a very controversial one. Or at least people told me it was controversial. Someone said it was controversial yeah. once. I don't remember hearing. Uh, I never heard anyone actually. Complain I'm always about curious, it, like what the criteria is for film. Like, to I think be controversial is it just? I think movie <laughs> blogs just need another adjective, and so they're like the controversial movie. Although this oh, this one I was pretty controversial. Yeah, so, this movie came out last year, and uh, the movie is Joker. So Todd Phillips, directed by Todd Phillips, yes. Uh, who was a comedy director before this. She was. Did, like, The Hangover or whatever. Uh-huh. And then it stars Joaquin Phoenix, who does an incredible performance. It got a ton of Oscar nominations. It won. Um, it won one of them, didn't it? I think Joaquin won. Yeah. I don't have it in front of me. But, yeah, yeah. It won, won awards. Um, but it was definitely a divisive movie last year. Definitely had a lot of... It was also... It's now become the highest-grossing R-rated movie of all time. It's become the highest-profiting movie of all time fun fact so the quotient like the the comparison between how much they spent to make it versus how much they made is the highest Crazy. in history huh so this movie was a big deal lots of people saw it um uh quick interjection yes uh interject. phoenix did win best actor okay uh, the film it. also won best original score original so oh yeah the score was two great. oscars yes yep so uh this movie was intense it's one of those movies that is very intense definitely deserves a discretionary warning like it is rated r it deals a lot with violence mental illness um just yeah it explores a lot of tough things i think i I, people i heard a lot of people say oh my gosh this movie is so important because it really talks about mental illness in an inspiring (laughs) way and i don't think i mean it does to a degree yeah i know we have uh, a couple different opinions about the film but that was that was i think one of my largest criticisms is uh maybe the 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 dangerously uh, uh, just kind of sidetracked way that it deals with mental illnesses 
um, where it's yeah. almost as an excuse for violent actions or lack of awareness or something like that. And that, yeah. yeah, but we can get into that in a moment. Yeah, well, no, that's that's definitely a good way to start it. So the movie is really interesting. I mean, the, first off, I mean, the acting is oh, exceptional. Abs- yeah, the cinematography is, I mean, it's a very, very well-made movie. Um, Martin Scorsese was a producer on it. I mean, yeah, very well-made, uh, interesting story. It's very, both with the camera and with the story, it's very, like, zoomed-in, close-up, like, story of this one guy who is the joker he's like a failed comedian who Mm -hmm. you know is experiencing mental illness he has so they've taken the comic book you know idea of the joker from like the batman comic books and they've kind of tried to do what nolan did with the batman trilogy in the mid-2000s of kind of grounding it in real life so they they've tried they've tried to take this comic book character and ground him in modern day and say what does this look like so instead of him being a crazy clown who fell in a vat of chemicals he has this mental illness where he laughs uncontrollably and he can't really with any emotional but yeah with any emotional response yeah. so he, there's a scene where you know he's on the subway and he's laughing uncontrollably and parents are like grabbing their kids like and um and he just is a very tortured person he, he has a very abused background and so we just kind of get to see his life up close and it's pretty it's tough to watch at some points um but all that to say i think one of the things that stuck out to me the most uh, about this movie is the political stuff going on. So I mm. did see a few people criticizing, saying, oh, it's such a political movie. Like, oh, oh, they're just Come making on. it political again. Like, <laughs> but really, I think the way the movie approached politics was very interesting, very original, and that's why I want to kind of focus on It's very on nuanced as well. Yeah, yeah, very nuanced. So I think one of the most interesting things, the main character, Arthur Fleck, is his mm-hmm. name. You know, the movie talks a lot about class and so in Gotham City it's you know any major city in the United States you could replace it as you know telling the story and you have this really big disparity between the rich and the poor Mm -hmm. and you know the haves and the have-nots the 1% and 99% so that class division is very much harped upon in the movie and in the traditional story we're told you know Batman is the good guy he has comes from this tragic past and his dad his parents were these great philanthropists and he's, he's using just, he's using the wealth for good yeah he's using the wealth for good saving the city yeah, yeah but in this story where the joker is the protagonist the one of the antagonists is actually thomas wayne batman's dad mm-hmm. and he is actually portrayed as kind of a kind of like a trump type a rude person <laughs> yeah <laughs> a trump typology they, they didn't go overtly with it they weren't sure but you know he's this rich kind of playboy who is a political figure and yeah so anyways yeah. The, the way they draw this contrast and the way they they collide these worlds of wealth and even bruce wayne makes a cameo mm-hmm. at one point with the joker's world of you know being kind of not having enough money and having to do these side jobs and just really being struggling a struggling mm-hmm. individual living kind of uh without a lot of means so the way they do that and then the the joker's actions of violence kind of spark this giant revolt so then you have these protests that happen in the movie that are all happening in the name of the Joker. So he becomes a symbol for the movement of, you know, the working and poor class to rise up against the wealthy. And But I think the, one of the most interesting things is, like, yes, lots of movies have told this story, you know, like the traditional Marxism, that idea, like lots and lots of movies have told that story. But the way that Joker does it, Joker, the protagonist Joker is kind of like, he's just, he loves chaos and he loves... You know, he, he sees these things happen. He's not taking these steps intentionally to build this movement in yeah. order to, like, you know, overthrow the super wealthy or those, you know, keeping the rest yeah. of the city down. Yeah, it's very much 
kind of a, a circumstantial happening, I think, in his eyes. Yeah, he does these things and they spark a revolt and he's like, fine that it's happening, but sure. he in no way, at least for the most of the movie, does he want to be a symbol. He doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to start a revolution, really. Mm-hmm. He's just, you know, living his life. And even through most of the movie, you know, he just loves the chaos. So he's not even really taking a side in this whole revolt that he's started, but he's just kind of watching it happen and and just kind of loving that he's he's become this he's just loving the attention basically he's loving sure, the persona sure. but not really buying into the political side so i just think it's interesting the movie if you have seen it you know the protagonist is this kind of apolitical guy who's just trying to get by and, and is making some good choices making a lot of really poor choices and and is experiencing a lot of trauma and you're just watching all this from his eyes but while this is happening, there's all these political things that are going on behind him. But he's not really involved or invested in a lot of the politics. He just wants to, you know, create chaos. Mm-hmm. And so I love the way the movie does that, where usually everyone is on his side. Everyone's telling, you know, everyone has an agenda. He's literally just like, no agenda, and everyone around him has an agenda. So I just think that's one of the interesting things politically about the movie. But you have some things that you didn't <laughs> like as much about the movie. So what are some... Sure, sure. Uh I, I, I'm, there's a lot that I think we agree with. Uh, I think Phoenix as an actor was uh, phenomenal. That's not an easy role to portray, and we've seen, yeah. you know, in the past just just the mental toll that it's had on actors. Yeah. Um. So that was that was impressive to watch. I would also agree. You know, the cinematography was was very well executed. Yeah. There's a number of scenes and even specific shots that just kind of stick in your mind afterwards and not. Uh, a ton of films can do that successfully anymore, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say, I, uh, you, you mentioned right at the beginning that this is kind of an attempt to really ground you know, this comic book character in mm-hmm. the real world, almost like they've done with Dark Knight Rises mm-hmm. the, well, or the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah. Um, I really didn't get the sense when I watched this film that it was in uh, like reality. It felt very mm-hmm. detached, um, and I think that was just in the fact that none of the characters felt real. Uh, you know, you, you have you have Arthur. You have Arthur Fleck as the mm-hmm. main character. Um, and he maybe feels the most human just because we're seeing everything through his perspective. And we can start to understand maybe the difficulties he has in his life. But all the other characters, there's not really a likable <laughs> character in this film. And the yeah. one person that is, um, isn't real. It's a figment of his imagination. Yeah. Um, and all the other characters are kind of detestable. There's nothing worthwhile even. Like, like I wasn't interested in, in gaining any deeper knowledge about, about what was happening. Other um, than Bruce Wayne, like Everything right? is awful. Well, I, I mean, he's a kid in this <laughs> even film. Then, he makes all of like a 10-second appearance. He doesn't yeah. really like... I'm just a Batman <laughs> fan. That was uh, no, I know. He's, he's a cool character. <laughs> um, so I felt like... Um, and this doesn't take away necessarily from it being a well-done movie or something. I just don't know if it was as grounded in like reality or the real world as a lot of people have been saying. Mm-hmm. I'm also, again, I'll go back to that point about uh, mental illnesses and uh, emotional instability. I think that the, the way in which they approached it is very dangerous, uh, not necessarily for you know, those that have uh, things that they're working through, but for other people. Um, who are interacting with those folks Um, because it kind of like pushes away like, oh, well, he's like this because of things he can't control and uh, drugs don't work Mm -hmm. and he goes to a social worker, but they just, you know, they don't want to or they can't help him. And Mm -hmm. um, 
he's either someone to be feared or he can embrace it and therefore enact violence, but he's not really responsible for that uh, because he's dealing with these other things. Yeah. Um, and I think that can be a pretty dangerous way to approach so that. So it almost like creates more of a stigma in your mind. Yeah, I, I think it kind of does. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I think it, it didn't do a good enough job of, of hitting home like the humanity and just the the yeah the humanity of people who have hmm. um, uh, mental difficulties yeah. uh, things that they're working through um, and I think that's something that could have easily been put in without really changing mm-hmm. maybe the political aspect of the film mm-hmm. um, and it just wasn't yeah uh, but yeah I I didn't hate the film I didn't really even dislike it all that much mm-hmm. um, I just there were a couple little things that irritated me about it definitely yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that is interesting about it. And there other TV shows and movies have done this, but I think it did it in a, on a scale that no one has really done before, mm-hmm. is it actually gave us a movie where the villain is the protagonist. So I think other movies have yeah. played with this. But, like, so the thing is, whenever you're given a true protagonist, someone who does bad things to people, you know, who kills people and tortures them and, like, all these awful things, and we're meant to empathize with them, basically you kind of have a few options. And I, I saw people reacting this way. So... People either like fall in. Either people don't see that side of it, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, he was such a great character, and I was mm-hmm. rooting for him the mm-hmm. whole time." And that's like a little bit scary. Like it's a little creepy. Rooting for someone. That's not that, yeah, that's not the what point. What you're supposed to do, yeah. <laughs> or people, you know, don't they miss the empathy piece, and they say, sure. "Oh my gosh, that was just disgusting and awful." And why? How could you watch that movie? He was such a terrible mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. And they, I think, people can kind of miss the humanity. Yeah. Or I think a more grounded way to approach movies or stories like this is like to find the empathy, you know, but to also not come down really hard, to, to just take it in as you kind of watch it. I think that's one thing that... Sure, yeah. You, shows like Breaking Bad or mm-hmm. Mad Men where we're given these really, really flawed protagonists who yeah. are anti-heroes in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, that is kind of... It kind of is alarming. And it is alarming, too, in culture to see, like, people love Joker and Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. They're great characters. They have a long history in the comic books, but... They also do absolutely terrible they're things. They're also, yeah, I mean, they're, violent. They're horrible, horrible, horrible characters. That's the point. They're horrible people. In their, in their actions, yeah. Yeah, and but the fact that people just, like, you know, dress up as them and love them without any, like, second thought, without looking into it and thinking, okay, what am I representing here? Sure. I think that's an interesting... I think this movie kind of brought that to light. It's like, I saw people reacting to it saying, oh, it was so great. Oh, I loved it when he shot that dude. Like, I literally heard people say that, and I'm like, what? You were cheering when he murdered? Like, <laughs> oh, what? But then yeah. other people are like, oh, it was so terrible. I couldn't stand it. Like, yeah. oh, it was, it was just so dark. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that sometimes that's not people's cup of tea, and that's fine. But I think I saw people react really hard on either side, and mm-hmm. I feel like the movie, what the movie was maybe trying to do is tell you a, tell you a human story um, in a way where you are able to empathize but also see pieces of that and in your, I guess in your eyes it didn't land that all the way yeah I mean I, I it was very clear to me that that was that was part of the goal of the film mm-hmm. um, I just maybe think that there are, there are ways they could have done that more effectively yeah definitely yeah that's fair well there you go there Joker you go. Uh, just a little bit of the political imagery behind it I do mm-hmm. find it really interesting I think the, the politics side of it was done really well where it didn't it just portrayed kind of this conflict, and it didn't. Well, it was kind of happening in the background throughout. Yeah, it was most such of it a background. Well, and it piece, wasn't really yeah. until you know maybe the last couple minutes. But yeah, uh, I feel like yeah. a lot of movies. It's like we're gonna hit you on the head about this political breaking ideology. news. Breaking news. Yeah, it's like we're gonna and we're gonna make sure you know yeah. this character represents this person. <laughs> uh-huh. or, but like really, yes, Thomas Wayne 
is a wealthy whatever billionaire but they didn't try to make him like a trump type they sure, didn't try sure. i mean it was really i think it, that piece was done really well mm-hmm. so anyways that's good so how would you rate this film out of a uh, score of 12 out of a score of 12 12 being the highest 12 being the best most amazing um, score you could possibly i really give it. liked it with all the things i said in mind like like being a conscientious viewer and not uh-huh, just taking uh-huh. it in and not like taking your five-year-old to see it geez um you know a conscientious mature viewer like as a story i really liked it. i'd probably give it a 10 oh, man. out of 12 it's pretty good yeah what about you uh I, out of 12 maybe a, a seven or an eight i think okay, that's yeah. fair. that's fair i just it didn't really resonate with me as much but um there were a lot of things I still enjoyed about it. So on the whole, a positive score, I think. Yeah. Nice. Well, there you go. Joker. All right. So here we go. Today, our episode is The Politics of Jesus. Politics of Jesus. Which I'm sure people, when they see the title, are like, what? What are they going to be talking about? I I hope we talk about how Jesus was uh, I can't I can't even think of anything funny anti-construction <laughs> yes anti-construction that was Jesus's yes. whole thing yeah right? if you were listening to this to hope to get an answer of which political party Jesus would be a part of that's at the end so. it's the bull moose party but you'll yeah. have to wait until the end to hear the reason yeah why. Yeah, yeah yeah I mean yeah <laughs> we don't want to show our cards too early okay so uh, I thought it'd be fun to talk about today um, the politics of Jesus so meaning. Jesus is obviously a figure that, you know, especially in America, everyone is aware of to a certain degree. Sure. Um, certain people, you know, a lot of people call themselves Christians, especially in America. There's a lot of Christians who say, oh, yeah, it's I follow Jesus. Largest religion in the world. Yeah. Population-wise, yeah. Yeah, yeah, largest religion in the world. So, you know, people have familiarity with Jesus. Um, but I thought it'd be interesting to talk about, be kind of look at behind, just like we did with the movie Joker. We're talking about the politics, <laughs> which those are not comparable figures. No. <laughs> Learn that. I'm going to start that out that way. But, you know, the politics behind what's happening in the life of Jesus, uh-huh. both um, from a historical perspective, so things outside the Bible, and then also from the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, mm-hmm. Luke, and John, where we see a lot of political things going on. So I thought it would be interesting to just kind of, yeah, dive into that, look at what was Jesus's politics? What were the political things going on behind him? And what did the things that he said and did have to do with the politics behind him? I think Mm. I know for a lot of my life, I missed pretty much all of that. You know, we think of, Oh Jesus, he was this great teacher. Oh, sure. Some people say, Oh yeah, he was the son of God. Oh, he loved people. Oh, he died on the cross for everyone's sins. Sure. Yeah. But none of that includes any of the cultural or political really kind of deep, baggage that was within all of those things that he did even dying on a cross mm. like all that so um obviously there's been books written by very yeah. much more smarter people than i which even that sentence showcases my <laughs> intelligence um but there's lots of books about you know all of that and if you want to uh-huh. go super deep into that this podcast is probably not the place but to hear an overview and maybe pique your interest about oh maybe jesus isn't who i thought he was or maybe there's more know, to it than there's that. more to yeah. the story of uh-huh. jesus and the things he did um, so to start off, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about the birth of Jesus. So it's not Christmas. It's birth. But uh, yeah, we could it sing happened. a Christmas. Let's sing a Christmas carol right now. Christmas Christmas song. No, I'm not. Not right now. Jingle. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's my favorite song about Jesus. <laughs> um, right next to Up on the Housetop. Yes. Um, yeah. But so you have Jesus' birth. 
Uh, obviously, everyone's familiar with this story, right? You've seen the nativity scene. He's in a manger. You've got mm-hmm. a drummer boy. Mm-hmm. You've got drummer three there, wise men. Some random guys. Yeah, a couple <laughs> shepherds. And then there's that part that we all, you know, kind of gloss over in the, you know, retellings where King Herod wants to kill him and ends up slaughtering a bunch of infants, which is uh, kind what? of a political action, that's unfortunately. Not, that's not in the Bible. It's not. Oh. Can you stop imposing your political agenda? On you know, this I just please? I thought I thought oh it was gosh. part of the Bible. I was over here talking about the drummer boy <laughs> and the three kings who we know were there, and you had to impose <laughs> violence. I mean, come on, you're such a Debbie Downer. Oh my gosh. Uh, actually, yeah. Hopefully, you know the drummer boy was not there. The magi were not there when Jesus was born, um, and the angel is always on top of the nativity scene with a little star but like that's not anyways (laughs) okay but we're not sure where the angel was that's undefined yeah (laughs) but to patrick's point actually yeah that is actually a lot of politics going on so here we have jesus who's born and the word around town is oh the messiah is born messiah Mm -hmm. meaning king yeah and here we have herod who is the ruling quote-unquote king now this is this is ruler we're going to talk about maybe two Herods, I think. In yes. This. So this is Herod number one, Herod the, the Great. The first Herod. The first Herod. Daddy Herod. Daddy Herod. <laughs> <laughs> Who, so yeah, he hears the rumor about town that, oh, the Messiah is born. And so, yeah, he immediately, in the Christmas story, says, hey, we're going to kill all the young boys just so that we weed out the possibility of anyone challenging my power. Oh, in Bethlehem. Like in the entire, all of Bethlehem. The entire village, yeah. yeah. Wipe out. And so Jesus and his family flee actually to Africa. They go to Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jesus was an immigrant to Africa with his parents for a while. Um, and he flees Bethlehem and he, to, from violence from a political ruler who's literally committing genocide on innocent children because there's a rumor that his power might be challenged by a baby boy. Well, it's de- I mean, it's destabilizing, right? Yeah. There, there's this threat. If you are institutionalized as, you know, the formal, literal king of the Jewish people, of the Jewish mm-hmm. area, and suddenly you hear, hey, a bunch of people are saying that there's this kid in this town who's actually that title, and you're just, you know, making it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's threatening, right? So, yeah. so there was a number of responses he could have taken. Uh, obviously, maybe... Uh, the most violent one is the one he did. Yeah, he took um, one of the worst responses yeah. imaginable. Um, a and very political action, though. Very yeah. political, yeah. And so Jesus was, as soon as Jesus is born and his parents, you know, he's thrust into this political world where sure, you have sure. you have this complex system. And so even to just an overview of that, you know, you have the Jewish people in, you know, modern day Israel, Palestine, you know, in and who we just in the first episode we talked about you spent some time there so I you did, have yeah, more knowledge about bit. that area than I do I've not been there yet um, but you have the Jewish people who the Bible the, both the Jewish Bible and the Protestant Bible um, you know Jewish one came first they're the OGs uh, kind of documents the history of these people and so uh-huh. the, 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 the story that you know they passed through the generations as being in slavery in Egypt and then mm-hmm. the Exodus and entering the promised land and taking the promised land for themselves and then they have this land that they've settled. They have independence for independence, you know, a good amount of time. And yeah, then, and then you have these books of prophecy yeah. like Isaiah and mm-hmm. Jeremiah, where you know the message from the prophets from God is that okay, these people are going to take you over, wipe you out, and make you their slaves. So you have three empires: the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, which then changes into the Persian Empire. Mm-hmm. So those three empires take over Israel, wipe them out, take their um, 
people as slaves, you know, they're living in captivity. So the, these three things are called the times of captivity. So you have that happen to these Jewish people. They're oppressed, they're subjugated. And then you kind of have these 400 years between uh, the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. They're yep. called the silent years where you're not given a lot of information from the Bible about what's going on. But when we pick up the story of Jesus 400 years later, now suddenly these Romans are here. Yeah, now like, you have who are these guys? Yeah, you've got the Romans. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's just like the movie 300. It's all, <laughs> no, those are, that's different. Um, but yeah, you have these Romans who are, it's kind of different where they haven't completely, they haven't taken over the Jewish people and removed them from their land, but they also are provincially ruling over. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you're right. Like, like we don't have, you know, biblical, accepted biblical narratives from those yeah. 400 years, but we do have a good amount of historic understanding and yeah. writings. And we know, you know, there were a couple of Greek, Greek empires that ruled after the Persians there, yeah. um, kind of the descendants of Alexander the Great's Great, short-lived yeah. empire. Um, but uh, eventually the, the, the Jewish people were actually able to overthrow uh, the the Greek rulers and, the and they actually yeah, yeah yeah they actually had uh, a couple decades of independence mm -hmm. um, which was uh, really I mean it's it's a significant moment yeah um, and important to the story of Jesus it is too. it is important to the story because they they had kind of this taste after hundreds of years of you know subjugation under these foreign oh. empires um, and then suddenly they're <laughs> free and then the Romans show up and then they're you know not free anymore um, but the way that the Romans subjugate is very different because they don't always you know directly impose you know i'm a roman governor i'm gonna impose my rule here it's a military occupation mm -hmm. for the most part um they use the jewish leadership um to control the area and mostly just collected taxes so it was a level mm -hmm. of oppression that was more decentralized and more detached yeah. um, and kind of pitted uh parts of the jewish people against each other in the way that they ruled um, which is one of the reasons why they were uh, arguably more successful in the way that they ruled mm -hmm. um, and I, yeah, I mean, I think I think that's an important thing to add there. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's a complex world that Jesus occupies. Yeah. Of there's these now it's the Jewish people are this minority people group, but they're occupying their quote unquote native land. Mm -hmm. So they they're in their native land, but they're technically ruled and being taxed by this greater empire. But they do have a level of autonomy. But and their king is Jewish. Their king is Jewish. But he has a he has a Roman title, right? Yes. Like he, he it's a Roman political office. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so all of these pieces, if you're not confused yet, <laughs> all these pieces are very important to the story of Jesus and it and we're we're laying all this groundwork to help kind of as as we build on the story of Jesus and as maybe you look at the story of Jesus again after hearing this or maybe you're familiar with some of this, but you know, as you approach this story that's so uh, popular and so well you know, researched and, mm. and understood, like all of these pieces actually matter. So then you have within the Jewish community, you know, a lot of times Jesus is pitted against the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. um, so you have these Jewish, they're the, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. They are the, the Jewish local religious leaders. Mm -hmm. So their goal is to uphold the Mosaic law, the law okay. of Moses. Their job is to, you know, upkeep the temple and, you know, maintain Jewish practices and Jewish cultural heritage like they are the gatekeepers of Jewish religious life which religion both religion and culture and identity are very closely tied for people that are Jewish it's not sure. like it's not like oh yeah I'm ethnically Jewish and I worship Yahweh or and I'm a, a Jewish there isn't that dichotomy it's it's, it's, it's your life at this point it's that they're one and the same one yeah. and the same which for a lot of people across the world even today that's still the case yes uh, we yeah. it's kind of we're kind of unique in that we split those worlds up but yeah so you have 
So you have all these. You have the Greater Roman Empire, as you as you mentioned. You know the Jewish king who is a Roman king who is Jewish. Yeah. And then you have the Jewish chief priests and teachers of the law. And then you have this guy Jesus show up. So you know we already talked about his birth a little bit, but even some of the things as he enters his ministry. You know, so when he's around thirty, he has about about three years. We you know historians guess about sure, three years sure. that he spends. Um, you know, in active ministry. So he starts kind of around his hometown, around Galilee, and then moves to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem is kind of his final, the Passion Week that we call it. It's kind of the, the focal point of that. Yes, the yeah. climax of the story of Jesus, uh-huh. which ends in his crucifixion. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, well, it doesn't really end that way. But <laughs> well, it, it, it's true. Depends on who you ask, I guess. That's true. That's <laughs> but true. yes. Um, so, but all of those pieces. So you have this Jewish guy and he's from Nazareth. And even at the beginning, a lot of the gospel writers even say, when he shows up, it's like, wait, he's from Nazareth? Like, what are you doing all the way down here? Like, yeah, what, yeah, nothing, they literally say nothing good comes out of there. Like, yeah. you're from, basically, like, you're from the bad part of town. You're from the part of town that nobody cares about. And so he's from, his parents are, from our, you know, historical understanding, not well-to-do at all. No. So he's yeah. born into lower class uh-huh. of a minority people group being controlled by a greater empire. And so a little more context for this, too. You have um, Caesar at the time, the, the ruler of, you know, all of Rome. His title meant and, and even would be inscribed in, in public places. And in, it was just commonly said, Caesar and is— And on currency. On currency especially. sometimes, yeah, yeah. The son of God. Caesar uh-huh. is the son uh-huh. of God. Like, that was his title. And even as the Roman Empire was beginning to experience a little bit of destabilization— you know, as they're kind of trying to double down on the power they already have, this title mm-hmm. is now being thrown out and kind of indoctrinated in the people. Hey, Caesar's the son of God. Don't forget, Caesar is divine. Like, that mm-hmm. was the whole thing. You know, our, your ruler is divine. Your ruler is connected to the gods. And, and therefore, what right do we have to, you know, question, question his authority, that. question his uh, decisions? It's kind of the, the point that they're trying to make there. Is exactly. that that's correct? Yeah. 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 Okay. So then you have Jesus showing up on the scene and alluding to the fact that he's the son of God. Like that wording is very, very political. So to kind of bring that into modern day, I hear a lot of people say, oh, you know, we can't be, if you're a Christian or you're religious, you can't be about politics because Jesus was not political. Jesus was not, he was apolitical. You know, he didn't take a side. He just loved people. Well, there is that, uh, it's Matthew. It's Matthew twenty-two, right? There's the one verse everyone disagrees over what it means, where he's he's arguing with the Pharisees, and mm-hmm. they want to know, you know, what do we do with this coin? And he he talks about, you know, giving to Caesar what is Caesar's. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will use that as a reason to say, you know, well, uh, you know, voting and politics is political, and that's the political world. And Caesar was a political ruler, so yeah. we'll just let him have that, yeah, just, and we won't get involved. Yeah. Right. That's what um, Jesus was saying, right? <laughs> I, I, you tell me. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. So you know, that's a that's a good point. You bring up like um, that phrase. Oh yeah, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and give unto God what is God's. Um, even that is a very political statement, and that was a political trap. They were asking him that question so he would take a side. They yeah. wanted him to say either, "Yeah, these Roman guys suck. We need to get them out of here." Or, oh, no, we totally got to respect and love the Romans. Mm-hmm. And Jesus was was never about that. He was about, hey, I'm actually, his whole thing was, hey, I'm actually ushering in a new kingdom. It's very subversive. Yeah, I'm about yeah. the kingdom of God. And I'm, 
you know, inviting you to be a fisherman and a disciple and to be a part of the kingdom of God. And he's healing. He's doing these like miraculous acts. Word is spreading all about him. People are saying he's calling himself the son of God. People are saying he's the Messiah. He's getting all these titles. And so, I mean, imagine if you're a Roman ruler in this time, a Jewish Roman ruler or just a Roman ruler, and you're hearing this coming out of and meanwhile, there's historical things like revolts. You know, that yeah. Happen. I mean, it, it sounds like this guy's wanting to, you know, lead some sort of rebellion where yeah. he installs a, a leadership that he controls. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's what it sounds like if you don't have any other understanding of it beyond what you're hearing, just kind of yeah whereabouts. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, this guy's the son of God. He's doing miracles. Crowds are gathering everywhere, mm-hmm. and they can't get enough of him. He goes into the temple, and he has a big fit, and he starts throwing everything. Mm-hmm. And he goes in the temple and starts teaching people. He opens up the Old Testament scrolls and said, hey, these are actually about me. Yeah. Like, all of those, if you look at Jesus' life and the things that he did, especially in those three years of ministry, all of those things are incredibly political because he's he's speaking to the political climate of the day. He's condemning things that are happening. He's you know, offering up an alternate way. And another crazy thing, you had this group, um, there's various groups or sects of the Jews. You have to Mm -hmm. say that word. You have to pronounce that word really well. (laughs) The sects of, otherwise it just sounds like, anyways. Um, So there's lots of different groups. You know, the Jewish people have grouped into different political factions. factions. So there's this group called the Zealots and they are kind of the revolutionaries and they're, Uh we need to get the Romans out of here by any means necessary. So they had started, you know, they had, I mean, they remember the heritage of, you know, the Maccabees from a couple centuries ago, right? Seeing that they can push back against a bigger force. They can have independence. And that's Mm -hmm. really, that's what they want. They're not, trying to uh, necessarily install like the kingdom of God in yeah. the concept that Jesus is talking about. They Not just want, all. you know, they want a political system too, but they want it to be their political system separate from the Romans. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They want full autonomy, full independence more than they have. Yeah. And so it's so interesting in the gospels, you have, you know, these 12 disciples that Jesus has chosen to follow him. One of them is mentioned as a zealot. Mm-hmm. That is very political. Like the fact that he had a follower who was a part of this, violent revolutionary group who was very opinionated and had an agenda on things the fact that that person was allowed to be around jesus and jesus was hanging out with people like that that was crazy that was subversive that was Mm -hmm. political jesus did not take that side he didn't endorse that well in fact he he had tax collectors yeah as well that he hung out with and and made part of his close yeah so the tax collectors that are working for the jewish government and gouging people's taxes and collecting money on behalf of the jewish and the roman government Mm -hmm. you know they're so they're like the state, they're the IRS. So you have the revolutionaries <laughs> and the IRS, and they're all hanging around this Jesus guy. Like, yeah. This is trouble brewing. <laughs> and as he's moving closer and closer to Jerusalem, word is spreading, crowds are getting bigger. He's becoming less subtle. If you read specifically the book of Mark, the beginning he's like, he heals someone who's demon-possessed, and they say, you know, thank you so much, teacher. You know, they, they are so thankful. And he says, don't tell anyone. He keep, tells him to be quiet. Well, mm-hmm. as he moves closer and closer to Jerusalem, he starts actually encouraging people. Okay, yeah, go tell go tell people what you saw <laughs> yeah. here. And he becomes more overt and more overt, and his ministry becomes more and more public, and it develops. Mm-hmm. Um, so then all of that, all of those different kind of pieces to say, I think one of the most, if you could take a snapshot of Jesus's, there's lots of them, but if you take a snapshot of kind of one of the most maybe un, misunderstood but still one of the most political moments in all of Jesus's life, is the what you know Christians celebrate is Palm Sunday, so <laughs> triumphal the, entry, the triumphal entry. So yeah. in in uh, you know in an Old Testament prophet, there's this idea that the Messiah is going to 
come to them riding on a donkey. And so their, their rescuer, their redeemer, is going to come to them riding on a donkey. And here Jesus is the week before this big Jewish festival. Everyone's coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival. Mm-hmm. And he specifically rides on a donkey. With, goes out of his way. Goes out of his, his way, to get gets a donkey. A donkey yeah. Rides on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem. And the crowds are loving it. They're shouting, Hosanna, you know, highest praise. Mm-hmm. They're, they're welcoming in their new ruler. Throwing palm leaves on the ground. Yeah. You know, like just, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a big moment. It's a big moment because in their minds, and this is one of the most, like I said, one of the most misunderstood and important things in Jesus' ministry, in their minds when he's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, he's coming to take the throne. He's coming to give the Jewish people their full independence. They think he is their liberator, their political savior when they say he's their savior it doesn't mean like oh he's in my heart and i can go to heaven in their mind this guy is removing the oppression that we're facing from the roman government Mm -hmm. and he's giving us the chosen people our own and so he's saying i'm the messiah people are saying oh he's the messiah he's the messiah he's the son of god he's riding in a donkey there's crowds all around him they are ready for him to pull out a sword and get to business like Mm -hmm. that's their expectation yeah and so I think one of the most important things is why are people who are shouting Hosanna one week and then shouting crucify this guy a week later? Um, hmm. th- that contrast is insane. Within one week, the same crowd goes from saying Hosanna, highest praise, you know. Well, even to the point of such like anger and disgust that they're willing to let, you know, a convicted murderer mm-hmm. uh, walk free instead of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. You have that moment where um, the leadership is, is having the crowd choose between who to let free and who to crucify, and they choose the guy who's who's a, a murderer mm-hmm. um, instead of Jesus. And and it's interesting. Yeah, you're right because I don't think we really understand or examine very much that shift within the span of one week. Yeah. Within the populace, from you know loving and accepting and and praising and being ready to follow this mm-hmm. this leader who they're seeing as their savior to wanting to you know kill him in a yeah. very brutal fashion. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's crazy, man. And I think that yeah. That misunderstanding that people have is, um, you know, it's like, oh, Jesus, he didn't do anything wrong. What, these people just wanted to kill him for no reason. You know, it's like he was, and yeah, I mean, he didn't, I don't think he did anything wrong. You know, like, most Christians <laughs> believe that. But, you know, people think that this, this whole murder plot came out of nowhere. Like, people had no reason to be offended, no reason to be worried. And they're like, yeah, let's just put this guy on a cross and murder him. Like, Everything he did before that, he's challenging power, and he's saying, he's challenging people that, hey, God is not who you think he is, that this kingdom is not what you think it is, and he's challenging people, and you read all of the four Gospels and even read the historical accounts around what's going on, people just don't get it. Like, he's Mm. saying things over and over again, and people don't get it. They're expecting this political savior. So Jesus Mm. comes in as a political savior. He does very, very, very political things, but he subverts the expectations of everyone. So he comes in on a donkey, Everyone's laying down palm branches. The son of David has come, right? David, this great king, mm-hmm. he's come to sit on David's throne. The prophecy is true. He's the chosen one. Star Wars reference, I guess. Uh, they probably got it from the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> he's the chosen one. You know, he's going to bring balance to the force. No, uh, kind of. So he comes in, and the first thing he does is he goes into the temple in Jerusalem, the center of all Jewish mm-hmm. life. Ha- Jewish religious life has a lot of political undertones, mm-hmm. and he flips over the tables, all the, you know, sellers, all the money. They're vendors. selling, yeah, they're yeah. selling things, and there's this whole commodification, and there's a wealth inequality going on in the temple. He flips it all over. He makes a whip and drives all the animals out, and he's like, 
you know, he quotes an Old Testament scripture and he says, this is a house of prayer. You made a den of robbers. And mm-hmm. so the people that are so excited, now he's this he's very, doing very political. It. Yeah. yeah, well, he's doing it. He's driving them out. And then he starts teaching and he starts arguing with the, the, um, the chief priest. And there's a whole discourse mm-hmm. that's recorded of him, you know, debating with them. And his answers are very astute. And he, he really convicts people. And then he says, another thing he says is very political. He says, hey, I'm going to tear this temple down and rebuild it in three days. And that's actually one of the things that they bring to court when he's being crucified is he said he was going to destroy the temple, which is a very, like... It's a pretty serious accusation. Yeah, yeah. in their mind, that's like a threat of terrorism. Sure. When in his... He's, he was talking about his body, and the you know, gospel writers say this, but at that point, they didn't know that. Uh-huh. And so... Um, and then, you know, when he's crucified, he's given the title King of the Jews, kind of as a mocking thing, like, mm-hmm. oh, this is, this, is your, this is the Roman government and the Jewish leaders showing the people, oh, here's your king of the Jews, here's your Messiah, he's another fake, he's another imposter. Mm. All of that is very, very, very political. Um, and then even to look at the crucifixion. So that, as, as you mentioned, you know, it was for murderers, it was for the worst of crimes, it was very mm-hmm. public things. Like, this is what happens to people that don't fall in line with what Rome has going on. I, it's, a, it's an act of, you know, yeah, I, murder or an act of treason is usually one of the only ways mm-hmm. that you could end up being crucified in the Roman Empire at that time. So, yeah. yeah. It's the, yeah, it's the highest level of capital punishment. Uh-huh. And it's given to Jesus, and the Jewish leaders, their power is threatened because he's come in and he's turned over their tables literally and figuratively. And so now they're appealing to the Romans and the Romans are like, I don't really get what's going on, but they had heard enough and felt enough unrest that it was worth their while to out this guy too. And so it's not, I think a lot of people focus on, oh, Jesus died. He died for our sins. Oh, he died on a cross. But like, why? Why did he die on a cross? Couldn't he have just died? Like, couldn't he have fallen in a well and drowned like why did he have to die that way well it was you know it was state ordained execution like yeah the mm-hmm. governmental death penalty death <laughs> penalty the political governmental powers declared him worthy of death and they killed him like that is one of the most political things ever yeah absolutely. and then the christians using that symbol as like a symbol for hope and like and the fact that we wear crosses and crosses, you know, it's actually the most recognized symbol in the world, the Christian cross. Mm-hmm. is the most recognized symbol in all the world. And most people don't think about, like, it's a symbol of murder and of state-ordained capital punishment. That must be, I mean, that would have been something crazily, uh, just so subversive, mm-hmm. right? Like, in, in, in the early church during the, the late Roman Empire, mm-hmm. um, because they're, they're shifting the narrative, or they're trying to at least, mm-hmm. um, away from this instrument of fear into this kind of image of, like, hope and salvation, mm-hmm. uh, which in itself, yeah, I mean, that's, that's destabilizing. That, that kind of undermines the rhetoric of, of the, you know, imperial power at that time. Uh, so it's, a very, it's very political. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I think... Um... All of those kind of pieces give, hopefully give you a better look into just kind of the politics of Jesus. So, Mm. and then kind of, I guess, taking all of that, those are just kind of all those different pieces of the the history, the culture, the politics, and you take that to today, you know, people, um, everybody wants Jesus on their side, right? I mean, I've heard Democratic politicians say, well, you know, if you really love Jesus, this is the party, this is the platform, these are the values. Sure. And I've heard the Republican Party say that, you know, 81% of evangelicals voted for Donald Trump Trump in the 2016 election. Um, So there is even a common consensus among the majority of evangelical Christians in the United States that, well, yeah, like, they probably would, not everyone would say, oh, yeah, Jesus is a Republican. 
or Jesus is a Democrat. But, you know, I've heard that there, said I mean, before. You, yeah, I, I've heard a lot of people argue that, you know, morally, from the perspective of Christian morals or mm-hmm. Christian ethic, this this specific thing has to be the right choice mm-hmm. politically. And if th- you're going to get involved at all in politics. Yes. Yeah. And I think people get so sick of that, yeah. I think rightly so, that now what I hear is people also say, well, Jesus was apolitical. You know, Jesus is not about politics. He's just Which about I think love. is, you know, easily disproven just by looking yeah. at his ministry as, at his history, which we've done here. Yeah, yeah. all of the, even just, yeah, half of the things we just mentioned are very clear. Uh, it was, he was very political. Yeah. And he was very intentionally political. But on the other side, you know, it's worth mentioning as well that he wasn't, you know, politically aligned with any specific faction, right? Yeah. You know, he upset the, uh, the zealots because he refused to lead this violent, yeah. revolutionary independence movement mm-hmm. right but then he also you know he was uh, really upsetting to the uh, the pharisees to the romans to the point of them executing him yeah um because he was claiming you know to be the son of god claiming these things that they felt they had authority to mm-hmm. to declare um so you know trying to bring that into today i think it's i think it's dangerous when we make the uh the decision whether it's implicit or not mm-hmm. um that uh, Jesus or that Christianity or that, you know, the teachings of Jesus trend us towards one specific party or one specific way of thinking about politics. Um, I think there are individual ideas that it might rule out maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but I think that it's, it's a little deeper than that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can't just say Jesus is this and that, and that's how it always has been and always will be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you have to look at it in a more, in a more holistic manner. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I think, and I think one of the most political and revolutionary things he did that we mm-hmm. already mentioned is he carved his own path. Um, and he did it in a way, most of the questions that Jesus is asked by the Roman rulers, by the Jewish political rulers, a lot of times if you kind of d- dig into the, the understanding behind that, a lot of times it's coming from two schools of thought. So one example is they ask him about divorce. So yeah. they say, hey, the Jewish law says, you know, Moses says this about divorce, but what do you say? And what they're trying to do is make him align with a particular school of thought. Yep. And what he does is he uses the Old Testament. So he uses the, their language that they want him to use. And he does it to thwart both of their, you know, schools of thought and then says, actually, this is what, you know, God would have you do. This is how God would have you. And he does that all the time. But same thing with the tax question. Yeah, yeah. And so he kind of subverts the dominant opinions where people are stuck in their trenches of thinking and it's either this or that. And he says, actually, you know, there might be truth here. There might be truth there. But actually, like, God has a different kingdom in mind. He has yeah. a different way of life in mind. He has a different alternative reality to quote Walter Brueggemann. That's true. He, he has this whole other reality. So I think that's just one of those things that it is, that is very political. People, mm-hmm. I think it's easy to mistake it. Oh, it's apolitical. No, it's not apolitical, but it's also not in one of the trenches in one of the already, you know, carved out paths of thinking. He introduced sure. a new way of thinking, which actually was not a new way of thinking at all. Because half of the stuff he says is the Old Testament. Like, sure, yeah. Jesus is the most, the Bible is one of the most, it is the most self-referential book ever. <laughs> because all the stuff Jesus says, he's just quoting the Old Testament saying, well, this is what, and he's yeah. just reiterating, and he's reliving out Israel's history, and he's doing all this to make a political statement that there is, in his, you know, to, to put words in Jesus' mouth, <laughs> I should never do that. But, and, you know, to summarize my, you know, view of what I think, or would hope to think that Jesus is saying here is, you know, the way of the path of me being my disciple following after me is a higher calling in a different kingdom. You know, it's mm. a different path and it's 
not even it's dangerous to even say a middle way because it's not just a balance it's of, not it's not balancing between the two no, no it's completely radically different but it's also not a complete rejection either and we can see that in yeah. just the relationships he had yeah with with tax collectors and with zealots and uh with people who were very i mean you know being a samaritan in that time mm -hmm. was political in and of itself yeah and he didn't just reject anything that was political yeah um he was he was very engaged in that so it mm -hmm. wasn't uh, it wasn't, you know, going in between the two. It wasn't aligning with either two, but it also wasn't just ignoring. Yeah, he didn't them detach, well. and yeah. I think that's what a lot of a lot of the Christianity in the United States and just yeah, a lot of that approach is generally mm -hmm. detachment. It's like, yeah. well, if we just remove from it and sometimes step our foot in the water of politics, on you, you know, know, one or two things, we one care or two about. things that yeah. we care about, then that's that's probably like Jesus. But you know, Jesus, he saw the. The radicals mm -hmm. he saw the tax collector crooks he saw those whose sexual ethics were frowned upon and deemed unclean by everyone he saw the outcasts he mm -hmm. saw people that were in the lowest socioeconomic status he also was around people in the highest socioeconomic status and he stepped towards them and engaged yeah. them and he didn't he didn't ignore their ethnic background he didn't ignore his ethnic background he didn't ignore their socioeconomic status their political ideology but he instead engaged it Mm -hmm. and invited them into a new way of living. Um, and that was his politic, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think I just, as someone who cares, obviously, a lot about this and mm -hmm. has tried to spend time educating myself and I'm continuing to try to spend time educating myself more on this, I, it hurts me and pains me to see Jesus being used as everyone's poster child and being co-opted for every message, right? Like, yeah. he's for this, he's against that. He's, you know, it's just, he... He is not uh, your scapegoat. He actually usually is about his own thing, which is very <laughs> different. I think one of the most important things, if you don't get anything else from this, like the whole image of the donkey, he's flipping people's expectations. His yeah. whole life was flipping people's expectations. From the moment he's born, what people expect of him and what he actually delivers is completely different. And it took centuries for people to figure that out. You know, And even the New Testament writers, they, you know, they write all these things well, well after he had died and, uh -huh. you know, had exited the scene of history. And they're reflecting on these things. Even a lot of the New Testament is Paul writing letters, just trying to understand what was this guy about? Because yeah. in the moment, people didn't know what was going on for a lot of it. Um, so anyways, I think it's important to, yeah, understand that life is nuanced. There's a lot of gray. The story of Jesus has a lot of gray. And everyone wanted him to be, you know, one or the other. And he presents a completely different nuance. There's just a lot of nuance, I guess. There is a lot of nuance <laughs> within Jesus, yes. So, yes. It's one of the reasons maybe why he's so compelling and people still research and study and, yeah. you know, make uh, podcast episodes <laughs> about him. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah he's one of the <laughs> most worthwhile. Yeah. yeah, And even even if you take the Bible, if you're like, ah, I don't believe any of that, I don't know about that. If sure. you take that out of the picture, even historians, you know, are like, there was this Jewish... I mean, just the level of impact, like, historic yeah. impact that he's had. Yeah, this Jewish carpenter yeah. uh, guy. Like, yeah, the impact he had, the ripple effects. The fact that, you know, within a short amount of time, historically speaking, from when he, you know, dies and resurrects and, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, disappears from the streamline of history. Now, within... I don't even know the exact amount of time because I haven't looked at a couple time hundred chart. years. Within a couple so. hundred years, now Christianity is the official religion of Rome, the greatest empire, and pretty and much suddenly it's no political. Right? And suddenly it's very political. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the it's Roman. A whole other pack of worms. Yeah, the Roman 
um, the leader of the Roman Empire uh-huh. s- declares Christianity the official religion. The fact that this guy who had 12 people that followed him and then that led to a lot more, who was from this middle of nowhere town, the fact that he, whether you believe what he said was true or what he did was right or any of that, the fact that within a couple hundred years, now the largest empire in the known world is declaring that his way of thinking is supposedly the official religion. It's crazy. Is re- yeah, it's ridiculous. And there's book. There's a book, really great book called Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark that accounts all of that. Uh-huh, there's all uh-huh. kinds of resources you can look into the, to dive into that. But just that fact alone, I think, is crazy. And it is. Yeah. And from that moment, Jesus was politically co-opted. Constantine, yes, the emperor of Rome, says, "Okay, actually, Christianity is the religion of the empire." So now I represent. Now <laughs> I represent yeah. Christianity, and you are a Christian if you're a Roman citizen. And now Jesus is on my my political agenda side, and yeah. from there I think we've been wrestling with that ever since. Absolutely. Yeah. But yes, Jesus was very mm. political. And if you're on Facebook, if you're on, if you get on a Facebook timeline, and <laughs> someone is saying Jesus wasn't political, or Jesus was a Republican, or Jesus was a Democrat, just just take a chill pill for a minute, and uh, let's let's look let's look at what was this guy actually about. So. Thank you. Thank you. That was good. <sighs> yeah, I feel like that mm. was yeah. Yeah, I need, I need some time after that. No, that was a lot of fun. I th- but I do think it's important. And um, yeah, I, I really, I've dedicated a lot of my life to studying yes. this. And there's still yeah. so much I don't know. But sure. that I've picked up. I think it's, it's pretty interesting. So that's a little bit about the politics of Jesus. Hopefully that was uh, informative for you. Interesting. Hope so. uh, maybe we could talk more about that in the future. And, I hope uh, so. Yeah. yeah, cool. Episode four. That's a wrap. Episode four. That's crazy. Give us a give us an ending maxim, Patrick. Give us a, a thought to go out with. <laughs> uh, does it have to be related to? No. Okay. Um, well, uh, if you haven't seen the new Space Force flag yet, <laughs> I'd encourage you to look at that. And then I would actually encourage you, completely unrelated, check out this show called Star Trek. Um, <laughs> It's really fascinating, deal with some really cool things, uh, and the logo is absolutely identical. So You heard it first here, folks. (laughs) You heard it first here.